we got to speak in churches and uh, visit in homes and see people that hadn't heard the gospel respond. It was a, really, it was a miraculous event. We were speaking in different classrooms, a uh, little different than it is here in America. One of the pastors is actually designing a class for the university there, not the Christian university, but the secular university, a four-month course on what is the gospel. Could you imagine Ohio State asking me to write a course on what is the gospel and letting me teach it for four months? So God's doing some miracles there, but we spoke in uh, college preparatory classes, and it was just amazing as we had the opportunity to present the gospel over and over again in settings with those students, the responsiveness of their hearts, that they were ready to receive Christ. And even the people uh, that we encountered, it was a real miracle. But it took a lot of work to get to that place. If you understand what's going on with all the pandemic and all, there was a lot of preparation that had to go into getting ready for a trip like this, uh, both getting passports, visas, are we going to be able to get in the country? Are we not going to be able to get in the country? And not really having gone to Bolivia before, and by the way, we were in La Paz, which is the highest capital city in the world. We were 12,000 feet above sea level. And going as high as some areas, 13,500. We actually went to the highest navigable lake in the world at over 12,000 feet above sea level. So there was altitude sickness and all the other things. So I was trying to get prepared. I didn't know what kind of food we were going to have, if we were going to have enough food. I didn't know what kind of water I was going to be dealing with. So needless to say, man, I was preparing. I was I was busting Amazon as I'm ordering thing after thing after thing, water, filter water bottles, and all the other kinds of things that I might need to be absolutely prepared. And wouldn't you know it, my suitcase was overweight because I had too much stuff. But I wanted to be prepared. Caleb will tell you anything about me. One of them is that I'll never come unprepared. I'm always ready. And, and we're always thinking about being prepared. Some of you right now probably already are thinking about your week. What do you need to do to get prepared for your week? Uh, when the pandemic struck, everybody was getting prepared for the pandemic that was coming. And so they ran to the grocery stores and stole every single roll of toilet paper that was available. Amen. There wasn't anything of it. In fact, I've changed the name of toilet paper to a pandemic preparation kit pandemic preparation kit because everybody was preparing for the worst. Uh, we're to prepare for potential tornadoes and storms. We're to prepare for uh, potential power outages. Uh, we're to prepare for uh, the fact of what happens if we're in an accident. Everywhere we go, we're always talking about being prepared. When I was growing up, I was a Boy Scout. And does anybody know the motto of the Boy Scouts? Be prepared. And so they uh, fancied themselves in preparing young men to be ready to face anything that they may face in life. We're constantly talking about being prepared. Even the Bible talks about being prepared. It talks about being prepared to meet the Lord, prepared to meet judgment. Jesus told his disciples to prepare uh, for the Lord's Supper. We're to prepare for the Lord's return. But there's another preparation that I want to talk about this morning that we don't think about very often, or at least we don't 
addressed very often. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 3. I invite you to take a copy of God's Word this morning and turn there, if you would, and then let's stand in honor of God's Word as it's read this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, Paul, or Paul, Peter writes these words, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, understand when Peter was writing this in around A.D. 64, Nero was the emperor of Rome. Nero was a maniac. He was a fanatic. And one of the things that he was responsible for was the great fire that burned the city of Rome. But instead of taking the blame, he blamed the Christians and as a result launched a great persecution against the Christians and against the church. And it was a very wicked persecution there in Rome. Christians would be uh, uh, actually encased in wax, and then he would use them as living torches to light his gardens as he would take his tourists through his gardens. He would throw them to wild beasts. He was a maniac. So, When Peter is writing these words, he's not writing them at a time when everything is smooth and well. He's writing at a time when they are facing great persecution. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Father, now we ask, as we open your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts. We are here, our ears are open, our eyes are open, and we want to obey you. So speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you picked up on what Peter was saying here. He's again writing to these Christians that are going through this intense persecution period. And at a time when most would be saying, we need to retreat to our safe haven, Peter says, no, we are to advance. We are to be engaged in sharing the gospel. Now, we have a problem sometimes in the church, particularly today, in that we tend to read certain verses through certain lenses. And so we see certain commands in the Scriptures, and and we automatically kind of read them through the lens of our own perception or our own interpretation. And one of those that we tend to read with the wrong lens and the wrong glass is when we see something like in verse 15 where he says, be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. We read that as, pastor, be ready to give a defense for the gospel that we believe in. Because we look at it as Peter is writing this to the leadership. But understand, if you read chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2, Peter is not writing this to leadership. 
He is writing it to the Christians that are dispersed, the Christians that are in the different regions where they are encountering this persecution. So he's not writing it to the leadership, although it applies to the leadership. Rather, he is writing it to the church, to the people of God, to the believers, whether they be young or they be old, whether they be new, or whether they've been a follower of Christ for many years. He is writing to them and saying, I want you to be prepared to be a witness for me. I want you to be prepared to be a witness for me. Now, having been a pastor for 35-plus years and preached in a lot of different churches, a lot of settings, read a lot of books, listened to a lot of uh, podcasts and other things, read articles about what's going on in the church uh, today, and uh, there's so much confusion and chaos with the pandemic, and then there's the, the, all the things that we see with immorality in the church, uh, leaders falling, divisions, churches splitting. We see a lot of problems in the church. We see a lot of sin in the church. But I would say to you today that the greatest sin in the church is not immorality. It is not division. It is not gossip. It is not the lack of church attendance, although all those are sin. I think the greatest sin in the church today is our failure to witness for Christ. See, I didn't get any amens on that one, did I? The Barna Research Group did in a recent survey, and they came up with some alarming statistics they posed this question, and they first posed it in 1993, and it was this statement, every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. That was the statement. In 1993, here's what they found. Nine out of ten Christians who had shared their faith agreed. That is, 89% of believers agreed that every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. They posed that same question in 2018, and only 64% now say it is the responsibility of every believer. Nearly a 25-point drop. Our own LifeWay did a research project, and they said 80% of those who attend church one or more times a month believe they have a personal responsibility to share their faith. Yet, only 61 or less than 61% of them had ever shared Christ with anybody. There's a statistic I, I tried to verify, but it's been around for a while, that 95% of believers have never led anyone to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I know statistics are, are dicey and they can be... Uh, made to shape any direction we want them to shape, but those things ought to bother us. It bothered Peter. It bothered Paul. It bothered Jesus when Jesus said, you know, I want you to go. I, I want you to be my disciples. So this morning, I want us to talk about how to be a prepared witness. How to be a prepared, we're prepared for everything else. Why not be prepared to be a witness for Christ? And we're going to learn three things that we need to do to be prepared to be a witness for Christ out of 1 Peter chapter 3. The first thing, we have to sanctify Christ in our hearts. 
We have to sanctify Christ in our hearts. Look at verse 15 again. He says in the English Standard Version, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, some of your translations will say sanctify Christ. And really, honestly, that is more of a word-for-word translation because that is literally what it's saying here. Sanctify Christ in your hearts. Now, now what is the word sanctify? Well, it's the word we translate many times, holy. Make holy, therefore, why the, the English Standard Version says, honor Christ as holy in your hearts. It, it, it is to means to consecrate or devote or to make holy. And the interesting thing is in this verse is it is in the command. Peter is not saying, hey, I got an idea. If some of you want to make Christ holy in your life, that would be awesome. Rather, he says it in the form of a command. He says, make Christ holy in your hearts. Honor Christ. Sanctify Christ in your heart. So what is Peter's point for us this morning? It is this. Before we can witness, we have to, first of all, make sure that Christ is in the right place in our lives. That's where it all begins. We have to make sure that Christ is in the right place in our lives. And I believe that involves two things. First of all, we have to make Christ our Savior. The first thing we have to do is we have to make Christ our Savior. Now, that would seem to be obvious, but it's not. Billy Graham once said that the greatest, one of the greatest mission fields is within the church on the church rolls. I mean, I mean, look around us this morning. You know there are more people on the church rolls than are present right here. Now, some are on Facebook because of the pandemic or illness. We understand those situations. But I'm talking about how many people are no longer present, no longer active, no longer serving. And I would submit to you that probably a lot of them just honestly are lost. I know that's not a popular thing to say, but I know that's true because it was true of me. And it's really what our Lord said. Look over at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23. If you have a problem with it, then listen to what the Lord said and take up your contention with him. Don't get mad at me. I'm just the preacher here today to share the word. But he says this in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, well, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus said there are many that are going to claim that they know me, but the reality of it is that they really don't. And the reason why I know that's true is because it was true of me. I was one of those. I was little Billy Baptist. You know, I was raised in, I was, you say you laugh, but I was. I was born in the Baptist hospital. I was in the Baptist church before I was born because my mom was a secretary to the Baptist pastor. So I was going to church before I was born. I was in church all my life, born in the Baptist hospital, went to the Baptist church, baptized in the Baptist church. I mean, I was a little Billy Baptist. I went on mission trips. I was in Sunday school. I was in some beams and some of you are going, what? 
But you old people know what I'm talking about. Sunbeams, discipleship training. I was in the, the youth choir. I went on mission trips. I went to youth conventions, youth conferences. I was engaged in all those things. Sometimes I read my Bible. I knew about Jesus. I knew the verses. Sometimes I even witnessed for Jesus. I mean, I was little Billy Baptist. I was, I was there. I was engaged. But the problem was, if I would have died in an automobile accident, Little Billy Baptist would have busted the gates of hell wide open. Because Little Billy Baptist was not saved. Little Billy Baptist was active in church. Little Billy Baptist was engaged in doing the things that Christians do. But the reality is Billy, Billy Baptist wasn't really saved. Therefore, I really wasn't a witness. And, and it's interesting that, that we are so deceived because, you know, the devil even knows who belongs to Jesus. Let me give you a, a passage of scripture to read. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 17. There were these people that were running around casting out demons, and they commanded the demons to leave in, in uh, Paul's and Peter's name. And, and the demons said, we know those guys, but we don't know who you are. In other words, what they were saying is, we know about Peter, we know about Paul, we know they are true followers of Christ, but we know the fact that you really aren't saved. You really don't have the power of God in your life. And they jumped on them and attacked them. That's why Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you're of the faith. Examine yourselves to see whether you are of the faith. <clears throat> when I was young, there was an evangelist by the name of Bailey Smith. Some of you may remember that old name. He was an evangelist. But his claim to fame, if you want to say his, his, his gift, was going into the church like this, and he would preach. And, and there would be literally sometimes hundreds of people saved. Most of them are people that were in church. And I used to really make kind of fun of him, saying, well, you're just going in and stirring people up, causing doubts, and then they get re-saved. 35 years later, I'm realizing he was right on target. That a lot of people really don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if Christ is not really your Lord and Savior, if you really haven't experienced the power of the gospel, if you're just another Billy Baptist or Josephine Baptist or whatever your name is, if that's all that you are, you're not going to be passionate about witnessing. You're not going to be prepared to be a witness for him because you haven't experienced the power of the gospel in your own life. So first of all, we've got to make him our Savior. But then second of all, we have to make him our Lord. We have to make Christ our Lord. Because notice what he said there. He said, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord. The Lord. So let's assume that, that we're all saved. So if many are really saved, why is it we're not sharing Christ? Well, could it be because Christ is not the center of our life? You see, if Christ is not the center of our life, his agenda is not the center of our life. And what is Christ's agenda? It's what we saw on that video earlier, to be the light of the world, to go out and share Christ with the world around us. So we have to, first of all, make sure we're saved. But then if we're saved, we have to make sure that Christ is the Lord of our life, which means several things. One, it means we make him first place in our lives. 
We make him first place in our lives. Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Second of all, we give him control of our lives. Romans chapter 12. See, it's one thing to say we want him to be first place, but are we willing to really then move out of the way and let him control? Third of all, we honor him in our lives. And then fourth of all, we worship him in our lives. I had the opportunity of meeting some of the great, great men of God of old. One of them was another guy by the name of Manly Beasley. Manly Beasley was a revivalist. And Manly Beasley had a great quote. Here's what he said. Write it down. When you get right with God, you'll have to backslide to keep from winning souls. Let me repeat that. That's a great statement. When you get right with God, you will have to backslide backslide, that is, move away from God to keep from winning souls. In other words, if you're walking with Christ and you're honoring Him, you'll literally have to say to God, no, I will not be a witness. You say, well, preacher, that's easy for you. You're a preacher. You get to do that all the time. No, I'm an insurance salesman. I've been doing that for six years. Now, before that, I was a pastor. But before I was a pastor, I was a college student. And in college, student, college, I was an active witness for Christ. When I went to seminary, I wasn't pastoring a church. But God used me to lead a whole clan of gypsies to Jesus Christ and start a church with them. I was not a pastor. I worked on a freight dock. And I witness to the people on my freight dock. And now in my work that I do now, I'm a witness for Christ. One of my little statements I'll make to people is having helped them get their life insurance to take care of their burial. I say, now I can help you get into the grave, but I can't get you into heaven. Only Jesus can do that. So what I'm trying to say to you is, folks, they're everywhere. And if Christ is the Lord of our lives, we're not going to be able to miss seeing them because He is going to constantly bring them into our lives. We prepare by sanctifying Christ. But then second of all, we learn from this passage, we prepare by sharing Christ in our connections. Now we move to the nitty-gritty of it. Look what he says at the end of that verse 15. But in your Christ hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared... Always being prepared, there's that word, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that is in you. Now, the Greek word to ask for that reason or defense is the word apologia, from which we get our English word apologetics. Now, that's not saying we're to run around apologizing for Jesus. Apologetics means literally defending the faith or standing up for the faith. So Peter says we're always to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in us. So how can we be ready to share the gospel? Let me tell you three ways. Number one, we need to be prepared to share our own personal testimony of salvation. We need to be prepared to share our own personal testimony of salvation. This is about what God has done in your life. And your personal testimony of what God has done in your life is one of the most powerful tools apart from the Bible in your arsenal for witnessing. It is one of the most powerful tools in your arsenal. 
It's, it's powerful for several reasons. Number one, it confirms that the gospel is true. Because they can, and don't take this wrong, they can doubt this Bible, and they can question this Bible, and they can uh, rail on this Bible. But folks, they cannot make me deny what I know is true in my heart and in my life. Amen? That Christ changed me. That Christ saved me. That Christ transformed me. I know what he did in my life. Nobody else knows. Nobody else understands. And so my testimony confirms that the gospel really is true. But then second of all, it communicates the gospel in everyday language. Because when you're sharing your personal testimony of how you were saved, what happened that led you to faith in Christ, whether it was a catastrophic event or whether it was just quietly sitting in a Sunday school class or whether it was reading your Bible at home, there were things that were happening around you. You weren't in a holy bubble. You know what I'm saying? You, you weren't in this monastery somewhere. You were living your life. You were experiencing your life, whatever it may be that was going on in your life. But it was happening in life. And so our testimony brings the gospel into the reality of people's life. Here's what happened in my everyday life. And then it connects with life. People can connect with things that are happening or have happened in your life, a loss of a loved one the loss of a child, the loss of a job, COVID-19. They can understand those things, and your testimony communicates life on a level that the average unbeliever can really understand. So what needs to be in our gospel, our testimony? Well, let me give you a verse to jot down, Acts chapter 26. It's really a whole chapter, because... Acts 26 is really Paul sharing his testimony. And there are three basic kind of ingredients. And what I encourage you to do is sit down with these three things and put together your personal testimony. Number one is your life before Christ. Your life before you receive Christ. That would be Acts chapter 26, 4 through 11. Paul shares about what his life was like before he met Christ. Acts 26, 4 through 11. Then share about how you received Christ or after you received Christ, when you received Christ. And Paul does that in Acts 26, 12 through 18 as he recounts that experience on the Damascus Road. And then third of all, share about your life since you received Christ. And again, Paul does that in Acts 26, 16 through 23. Because people need to hear, well, how is Christ making a difference in your life now? If, if all you've got is, well, I was 12 years old, and they had an old-time revivalist came, and I got saved right there on that day. Praise God, I'm going to, and that's all you got. You don't have much to share. You need to be sharing, what is Christ doing now in your life? And so if you'll take time and take these three segments, just jot down some things. What was my life like before Christ? You say, well, pastor, I was just a young little kid. I don't remember anything. I mean, I was pretty young. I mean, maybe I had a drug problem. I took a bare aspirin often, you know, so I had a drug problem. Amen. 
So maybe you were a goody little two-shoe. I don't have a dynamic testimony. I wasn't saved out of drugs or prostitution or I wasn't in hell's angels or, you know, I, I wasn't this great atheist that was trying to tear. I, I was just a little old guy, a little old gal that came to church every Sunday and Jesus just touched my heart and saved me. I never did all those things. Well, praise God, you got probably one of the greatest testimonies of all. Think about what he saved you from going through. Amen. Don't be, a, don't be ashamed of that. Share it with people around you. And then second of all, be prepared to share the plan of salvation. Be prepared to share the plan of salvation. That is, if you were found in a situation and somebody wanted to talk to you about Christ, could you sit down and help them to understand the gospel? One of the things that we did when we were in there, and most of you have probably seen this, but what we did when we were there, and this is what we shared everywhere we went, and this was the thing that we used, and again, we saw over 400 people pray to receive Christ, from students to older people to single mothers uh, to older gentlemen, whatever they may be. We used a very simple presentation in the three circles. How many of you ever seen that? You have. You have. I want to encourage you, kind of piece of paper and write this down, because this is something that you can share anywhere. It's very easy. It's called the three circles. And what these three circles do is they help us, give us a way to share the gospel with a lost world and to kind of intersect where they are. And so I'll tell you about the three circles real quick. The first circle tells us about God's love, that God loves us. John 3, 16, you know that verse. So you already got one verse already down in your gospel presentation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. But you focus on the fact that God loves us. And, and let that soak into people's minds and hearts. The God, and I would say this to the students, the God that made the world, the God that designed the world, that knows the stars, the infinite universes, that God loves me. Isn't that awesome? God loves you. God loves me. And God has a plan for our lives, a design for our lives. John 10.10, 10, I have come that you may have life, oops, and have it more abundantly. God has a plan for life. His plan is not for us to aim wondrously through our world. It's not for us to end up in hell. He has a plan for our lives. This is what God's design is for us. But as you know, that's not where most people are living. Amen? In fact, our world is a broken world. And we see brokenness everywhere we go. We see broken marriages. We see broken hearts. We see broken lives. There's brokenness everywhere we go. We see wars. We see revolution. We see Taliban advancing on the cabal. We, we see the advance of atheism, agnosticism. We, we see the rise in diseases and other things. We live in a broken world. So how did we get to this place? How did we get to a place where, of brokenness? Well, it's because we decided that we wanted to run away from God rather than towards God. And that's what the Bible calls sin. And the Bible says that all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. All have sinned. All of us are running away from God, and as a result, a wall has been erected between us and God so that we don't know His love and we don't know His plan for our lives. And so we're left to live in this world of brokenness that we're in. Now, we try a lot of things to get out of our brokenness. We think, man, if I can make a lot of money, man, my world will come together. Man, it'll all, it'll all come together. If, if I'm successful in sports or I become famous or popular, then my life is going to all come together and everything's going to be great and awesome for me. If I get married and find the, the love of my life, then that's going to put my life all together. Uh, some people think, well, if I can just do drugs and alcohol, it'll just drown out all my problems, all my sorrows, all my heartache, all my hurt. And so people have these different ideas of what they can do to overcome their brokenness the problem is it only leads to what? More brokenness. More brokenness. So what do we do? There's nothing we can do. And I would just stand there with those students and just let them live with that for a minute. There's not a thing we can do. Everything we do, it just ends up in more brokenness. There's nothing we can do. So God did it for us. And what God did is He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into our brokenness. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ came into our brokenness. And, and why would He come into our broken world? I mean, remember, He's sitting on the throne. He's worshipped by angels. He's adored. All He has to say is a word. And, and every cherubim, seraphim, uh, all the creatures of heaven, they will answer His bidding. Everything is there. He's in perfect fellowship with the Heavenly Father. Why would He leave the glory of heaven, that perfect existence, to come here into our world of brokenness? And there's only one reason. He came to die. He came to die on the cross, but not because he sinned, but because he, he came to die for our sins. When Jesus Christ died, he took our sin debt upon himself. And he paid in full the penalty for our sin. Romans chapter 5, verse Romans 5, verse 8, God demonstrated his own love in, for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ what? Died for us. But if that were the end of the story, it would still be a tragic story because he died. But the good news, my friends, is that on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Amen? He rose from the grave to prove that he had conquered death and the grave proving that he is King Jesus. He is the Lord. He is Savior and Lord. And so if we will respond to him, and how do we respond to him? Well, you remember we were running away from God? Now we run towards God. And we believe and we repent. We believe and we repent 
We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We repent of our sin of rebellion, and we run to Jesus. And if we do, if we believe in him, then Jesus will save us and make us a new creature in Christ. In fact, he says in John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he became children of God. So my friend, you have a choice today. You can continue to live in your world of brokenness, or you can experience Christ's forgiveness and lordship and enter back into the plan that God has for your life and to experience his love. Which life do you want? Now, the, the thing about this presentation that's really cool is if you're talking to somebody and they're just talking about all their problems and all their other stuff, you start on the brokenness side with them because they, they, they can talk language of brokenness. Amen? So talk to your friends. You can do this little simple presentation. In fact, if you've got a smartphone, you can go to something called LifeOne Mission and this thing is on a smartphone, so you can just sit there and click the buttons, and it'll pop, 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 pop right through there and, and walk them through it. But be prepared. Some way or another, the, the Romans road or, or the four laws or whatever it is, some way or another, be prepared to sit down with somebody and lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. And if you need to, practice it. You say, but that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, didn't Jesus say, be prepared? Didn't you know what he said? If you had to make a presentation before all your peers on a particular subject, how many of you would practice your speech? Every one of us would. So why would we not be prepared to share our faith with people? Because I believe people will grab us. We had an experience, and i got to move on. I'm getting excited here. But we, I was in a home. It was really a store, and we were witnessing to the family. Both of them received Christ. And as we're coming out the door, this guy grabs me, and he says, I've got questions. I've got questions. Now, he didn't know me from Adam 1. He said, i got questions. Why is God doing this to me? And I thought, okay, well, I don't know what's going on. And, and we got to talking, and I said, let's go to your home and talk. And, and so we started to move. Well, as I'm doing that, this other guy grabs me, and he says, what do you believe about the Bible? He says, I'm a Mormon. And so I'm sitting here going, Lord, what I do? You're just bringing, you're, you're bringing them right here to me. I wasn't, even, I wasn't asking for it. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen to you all the time, but I'm telling you that if you're prepared, God will bring people across your path. And then third of all, be prepared to share the proof of your salvation. There's times you need to be ready. What, what are the evidences? Listen to people's questions that they have. Acknowledge their questions. Respond to them. Don't, don't tell people that say, well, I don't know if I believe in the Bible. Well, you just got to believe in the Bible. Uh, that's not going to deal it in our world today. Now, when we were a Christian culture, that was the answer you typically got. Well, I, I don't understand. Well, you just got to believe the Bible. No, I got questions. 
I got questions about this whole thing. How do we know it's really true? And there are sometimes people that really do. So I'm going to give you a little thing. It's in your notes there. It's called the ramp. What is a ramp? A ramp is something you put up on the back of your truck so you can roll your four-wheeler up onto the truck. A ramp is something that the wrecker truck does to roll your car up when it's hauling it off when you're having a great day. Amen? So what is a ramp? Well, first of all, it's the resurrection. One of the greatest evidences for the Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? It is the greatest single evidence for Christianity. You know what? And, and don't take this and don't be trivial in saying this, but if somebody says, I don't believe Christianity, say, great, can you bring me the body of Jesus? You see, if, you, if somebody can present the body of Jesus or evidence they ever found the body of Jesus... You say, well, the disciples hid it. You mean the disciples were able to hide it from the most powerful nation in the whole world of Rome? Come on. Just produce the body. Because if you produce the body of Jesus Christ, we just as well go ahead and sell this building and turn it into a dance hall. Because there ain't no Christianity. Second of all is the apostles' testimony. The testimony and witness of the apostles. You say, why is that an evidence? Well, remember, these guys hung out with Jesus, right? Are you awake? Have I put you to sleep this early? Yeah. The apostles hung out with Jesus. Now, what did they see happen? They saw Jesus die on the cross, right? They saw him lose everything. Everything. And then they saw him come back from the, from the dead. And as a result, they began to witness for Jesus Christ. And you know what happened to every single one of them? Every single one of them lost their life for Jesus. Now, why would they have lost their life for a lie? Well, they, well, they wanted to make a lot of money. Oh, really? Go study there. They made no money. They lost everything. Well, they built it because they wanted to build a, a huge church like in Houston and have a stadium where everybody could come in and everybody be happy and, and, and rejoice. No, they didn't build a big place like that. They didn't have power. They didn't have authority. They did within the church. They lost their lives. Now, to ask this, I want to ask you this question. Why would you lose your life if you knew it wasn't true? Third of all, another evidence you can share is the prophecies. Or, excuse me, the miracles of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 through 4 talks about miracles. And then a third, fourth one is prophecies. John chapter 5, verse 39. You can share about the, the reality of prophecies. You say, how is that an evidence? Did you know there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus Christ? Over 300 of them. So a guy did a study, a statistician. He did a study if... If Jesus Christ only fulfilled seven of those prophecies, and remember some of them said like where you were going to be born, who your parents were going to be, where you were going to live. How many of you got to say before you were born, I think I want to be living in Groveport, Ohio. Nobody, none of you did. But the likelihood that any one person could fulfill just seven of those prophecies is one, and this was a statistician, one times 10 to the 157th power. So you say, I don't mean anything to me. Okay, so let me help you out. If you took silver dollars, covered the state of Texas two foot thick with silver dollars, marked one of them with a black marker, blindfolded somebody, the likelihood that they could pick up that silver dollar the very first time, that's one times 10 to the 157th power. 
But Jesus fulfilled every single one of those prophecies. How? Well, you know, he, he read about them. Okay, great. Mom, Dad, I'm in the womb. I just read that we got to get down to we got to get down to Bethlehem real quick here. No. Write out your testimony. Learn the gospel, and then finally we close out. Third of all, we show Christ in our lives. Look again back at verse end of verse 15 there. He says, be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Verse 17, for it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So how do we show Christ? Well, we show Christ in our witness. Show Christ in our witness. How we witness to people, we're to do it with gentleness and respect. We, we, we need to be careful how we talk to people. You know, sometimes we're looked at these condescending, self-righteous prigs because of the way we look down on their questions, their problems, their issues. What's wrong with you, you idiot? Can't you see God's out there everywhere? We need to do it with gentleness and we need to do it with respect. So we need to show Christ in our, and be gentle in our witness that sometimes people really have questions. And then second of all, we need to show Christ in our walk. We need to show Christ in our walk. That's what he's saying there. Have a good conscience. Exemplify Christ in your daily life. Which means if you exemplify Christ, you're going to expose evil. That's why he says there that, you're good, that those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You know why unbelievers are uncomfortable with believers? is because we expose their evil. You don't need to do anything to irritate them. So don't add any more to the fire. They're already irritated because when you walked into their world, you made them uncomfortable. I work, in, again, in a, in a market where almost everybody in my business is, is an unbeliever. A and the environment has changed. Now, there's still some language, but it is toned down because they'll, they'll say something, a little word slip, and they'll look over and they say, oh, I'm sorry, Kent. Because they're aware that what they're doing is wrong. So we're exposing it. So we show Christ in our walk. It's lifestyle evangelism. Here's what Acts 24 verse 16 says. So I always do my best to maintain a blameless conscience before God and before men. What a model for life. If you live a blameless life before God and before men, you are going to be prepared to be a witness wherever you may be in whatever situation you may be in. So as we close, are you prepared to be a witness for him? Don't just wing it. Be prepared. Sanctify Christ. Share Christ. And show Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we don't want to be guilty of remaining quiet when you're trying to speak loud. Of being absent when you're trying to be present. Of being unengaged when you're seeking to engage. So, Lord, I pray for this church that they will be that lighthouse to this community 
And wherever they may be, whoever they may encounter, Lord, they're encountering people I'll never ever meet or ever see. And may many souls come to faith in Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, the worship team is going to lead us in our closing song. But again, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe something I've shared today has tugged at your heart and you realize, hey, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need to be saved. I'm not a witness because I, I haven't experienced the witness. I encourage you today to make that decision. If you need help, I'll be on the front pew here. Just come and grab me and we can pray to receive Christ. Or maybe in this song today, you just need to bow your hearts and say, Lord, I've given you control of so many areas of my life, but I haven't been willing to give you control of my life of witness. I've not been that witness that I need to be. I haven't been on mission. And I know Pastor Greg is going to start a new series on that. But I'm I'm ready to get on mission for you. I want to sanctify you. Whatever your decision, if you need help, I'll be here at the front of the wise. Just sing this song. It's a great song this morning. Let's just stand together.